the intricate labyrinths of the human mind lies a realm as vast and varied as the stars in the night sky. Imagine a key that could unlock those secrets of why we are the way we are, our quirks, fears, passions, and dreams. Welcome to the realm of personality psychology, where science meets the soul. In this episode of State of the Pod, we will unravel the mysteries and venture into the heart of what makes us uniquely human. Personality psychology is a branch of psychology that explores the patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that distinguish individuals from one another. It delves into the study of enduring traits, characteristics, and dynamics that shape an individual's unique and consistent way of interacting with the world. Researchers in personality psychology aim to uncover the underlying factors that contribute to the development and expression of personality, shedding light on the complexity of human nature and providing valuable insights into how individuals navigate their lives and relationships. There are two main factors that are thought to play a role in a person's personality, those being innate genetic factors and environmental factors. These factors have played into the question as to whether nature or nurture would have a greater impact on a person's personality. Let's first look at innate and genetic factors. There are certain things that are already known that genetics play a role in, such as a person's height, health conditions, and IQ. However, it has been a little more difficult to study how personality would be affected by genetics. Some studies to try to test this are done between identical twins, fraternal twins, and siblings, given that they would share the most similar genetics between people, with identical twins sharing the most genetic material. What these studies have shown is that genes do matter and affect a person's personality, but they are not representative of the whole story of a person's personality. Even for traits that are highly heritable, there were seen to be some distinct differences between identical twins. For example, between twins, while both may seem to be extroverted, one twin may seem to be more extroverted than the other, or even one twin might seem to be very introverted while the other is very extroverted. Because genetics could not fully explain personality, differences were then thought to be due to environmental factors. What was seen with studying how environments affect personality is that shared environments account for very little of the similarities in personality traits. An example of a shared environment is growing up in the same home and being raised by the same parents um, or even having like the same friend group. Because similar personalities cannot be correlated with similar environments, different environmental factors are then something that was researched. What was found here is that non-shared environments accounted for a lot of a person's personality and what causes differences between people's personalities. These findings were also correlated with genetics, meaning that they play an interconnected role in shaping individual differences. While genetic factors contribute to the heritability of certain personality traits, non-shared environments, such as unique life experiences and personal interactions, also exert a substantial influence. This correlation highlights the dynamic interplay between innate predispositions, such as genetics, and external factors, such as the people we meet, emphasizing that one's personality is a product of both genetic foundations and the distinctive individualized environments in which they navigate their lives. 
Because of the growing interest in people wanting to know more about their own personality, as well as the personality of those around them, there has been an ongoing trend to take personality tests, something that Amanda Chen and Diego will go into more depth about later in this podcast. One particular personality test that has seen an uptick in popularity recently is the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Test, better known by its acronym MBTI, and even more so by the four categories of its personality breakdowns. Each personality is divided into four dimensions, where an individual can be assigned one of two alignments, allowing for 16 total possible personality types through which one's thoughts and behaviors could be accurately assessed and predicted. For example, in South Korea, viral trends on social media include jokingly teasing people by asking, are you a T? As opposed to an F alignment, if they're unable to respond well to someone else's emotions, acting overly rational, oftentimes prioritizing an objective position or solution instead of empathizing with the situation. There have also been spin-off applications of MBTI types with websites that allow you and your group of friends to enter your personalities to test for compatibility between each other. And then there are also MBTI chemistry tests viral on TikTok for testing dating compatibility. And I myself often find that I'm falling upon asking for someone's MBTI as a conversation starter, even if I'm meeting them for the first time, because I want to use it to discuss different opinions and hot takes that we might have from habits to pet peeves to our daily routines. But what exactly is MBTI and how exactly was it created? The Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Test and its relevant analyses were devised by mother and daughter duo Isabel Myers-Briggs and Catherine Cook-Briggs in the 1940s based on an eight psychological types introduced by Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Jung. In his book Psychological Types, Jung sought to find a consensus between the clashing views of Sigmund Freud and Alfred Adler. The Myers-Briggs women, both of whom were self-taught in the field of psychometric testing, thought Jung's concepts were a bit too complex and wanted to make these ideas more accessible for comprehension by the general public. Jung's conclusion was that between Freud and Adler, the former was extroverted and that the latter was introverted in their thinking, leading to their discrepancy in their psychological theories. This gave rise to his argument for the existence of type antagonism or the belief that there exists some dichotomy between beliefs. There is no necessary right or wrong side in these different schools of thought, but rather they exist in part to oppose each other and thus cannot represent an entire truth. So along these lines, Jung's eight psychological types were defined with alignment in attitude type, either introverted or extroverted, and function type, rational or irrational. Thus, you could be introverted rational, introverted irrational, extroverted rational, or extroverted irrational. The MBTI test followed this outline, but with a breakdown into more granular dimensions of these type categories, namely introversion versus extroversion, I versus E, intuition versus sensation, N versus S, thinking versus feeling, T versus F, and judging versus perception, J versus P. Here's a quick breakdown of what the MBTI test tells us about each letter's alignment. Introversion, extroversion is represented by I or E. Extroversion refers to the tendency to be outgoing and action-oriented while enjoying social interactions and feeling more energized as a result, and this can also manifest itself in feeling comfortable in groups, being popular having a large friend group, and not thinking something over before taking action. On the other hand, introversion lies on the opposite end of the scale and reflects the tendency to be more thought-oriented and withdrawn. Introversion can also indicate someone who enjoys living in their head, reflecting on ideas, thoughts, memories, and the like. 
This can also mean that you avoid action by overthinking and you may overcontemplate and you also might occasionally feel removed from the outside world. The second category is sensing and intuition or S versus N. This is how people take in information from the world around them. People who prefer sensing tend to be more reality-based and depend on their own senses and what they can learn from hands-on experience, aka what you might say is empirical evidence. This might mean remembering accurate snapshots of events, being a fact-based problem solver, a preference for a realistic bottom-line approach, valuing experience more than words or symbols, and overlooking potential possibilities due to overanalyzing facts. On the other hand, intuition is more likely to depend on their impressions of the world around them and is more likely to rely on inner feelings to make conclusions. This might mean reading between the lines, an interest in new, different experiences, bouncing between different possible scenarios, valuing impressions, metaphors, and symbols more than actual lived experience, or a difficulty bringing possibilities to reality. Next is thinking and feeling, which is represented by T or F. People scoring highly on thinking, or T, tend to be more logic-based and dependent on facts and objective information. This can be seen in enjoying fields where logic is key, noticing errors or inconsistencies, searching for logical solutions to problems, a desire to be fair and make decisions based on logic, believing in direct truth-telling, not always accounting for people's emotions or experiences, being task-oriented, and appearing indifferent or uncaring. On the other hand, feeling individuals, or F, are more likely to depend on emotions to conclude people and events. This can be seen in enjoying fields involving people or communication, wanting harmony and becoming nervous around conflict, having concern for others, being compassionate and making emotion-based decisions, valuing people's emotions and believing in delivering news with tact, not always communicating different cult truths directly, and appearing indirect, idealistic, or emotional. At this point, you might realize that there is a bit of both traits that you can get from both T or F. It's often very rare that people might be completely logical, unemotional, and rational, or completely emotional and always wanting to avoid conflict. These traits can be seen often more times than not appearing in the same people or overlapping or being situation dependent. And lastly, the final category is judging versus perceiving or J versus P. People high on judging are more rigid and inflexible and prefer more structured environments. This can mean enjoying things when things are well decided, being task oriented, doing things through to-do lists, and having a work-before-play attitude. They really like to plan ahead to avoid rushing or procrastination, and they're also, in general, just very highly goal-oriented, but sometimes miss information due to narrow focus. On the other hand, people high on perceiving or P tend to be more flexible, open-minded, and spontaneous. Because they like being open-minded, they are casual and not the type to make plans beforehand, mixing work with play, being productive in bursts of energy instead of constant, receiving added stimulation from pressure or deadlines, maybe being more prone to procrastination, and having difficulty making decisions. So is the MBTI test still valid and a good psychological indicator? The Myers-Briggs test is not considered valid. 
Effectively categorizing the personality spectrum of billions of people into several types can be challenging, so it might not be surprising that the MBTI is considered an unreliable psychological instrument. Many criticize the theory behind it and the rigid dichotomy that tends to oversimplify the human personality, or the concept of intuitive psychology. Even though these personality profiles created out of MBTI are generic, people often feel that the descriptions accurately portray the image they have of themselves. This fallacy of personal validation is called the Barnum effect, and this usually comes into play no matter how much truth or falseness there might be. This describes a person's tendency to believe that vague personality descriptions are specifically tailored to them even though they might cover a wide range of people and populations. This is the bottom section um, as a part of the closing statement or the conclusion. Another risk to personality tests is that the test taker's interpretation of the questions and their meanings will have a discrepancy to what the personality test's intended meaning is supposed to be. We are not privy to how the test will use the answer to each question. So take, for example, the statement, I have a high opinion of my personal attributes. The wording here is very vague, and the way that people apply the concept of personal attributes and what situations they think of to decide on an answer to that statement will vary from person to person. Does the personality test take this variation into account? Probably not. In fact, the spectrum of multiple choice options between strongly disagree to strongly agree in itself is very arbitrary and risks high inaccuracy. Because we are not privy to the function that the questionnaire plugs answers into to assign us to a personality type, we simply do not know if our understanding of each question is the same as whoever wrote them. But on the other hand, if the personality tests were to be transparent in their evaluation process, this would also compromise the test integrity. The more the user knows how the question influences which aspects of the potential personality type, the more likely that confirmation bias will influence their decision making while they are taking that personality test. For example, take the MBTI question that asks you to disagree or agree with a statement at social events, you rarely try to introduce yourself to new people and mostly talk to the ones you already know. If the test taker is looking to affirm that they're an extrovert and believes in that self-perception, regardless of how true objectively is and their actual behavior in such social settings, then they will tend to disagree with the statement. The format of a questionnaire, furthermore, is fundamentally one-dimensional because it is one-sided. Would you better understand the perspectives, ways of thinking and acting, behavioral patterns, and be able to actually extrapolate their love life and career paths if you were to have a long, deep conversation with them, or if you had them take a multiple choice test? That answer is pretty obvious, but out of convenience, we openly accept the one-off analyses of these personality tests and use it to define our identities and how we present ourselves to other people. Nevertheless, there are good things that can come out of personality tests. It's not all bad news and inaccuracy. These tests provide entry points to better understanding the multiple facets of one's personality and the personalities of people around you. They provide opportunities for further discussion, opportunities to confirm whether a personality test evaluation of your character is true or not, and the aspects of the personality test that is rooted in psychology and actual behavioral science mean that you do have concrete bases for exploring your own personality and thought processes, especially if you had no explanation for the things you felt and thought previously. Of course, just don't make it your entire personality. You might have noticed there have been a lot of advantages and disadvantages with the MBTI. While it is definitely fun to test and to mess around with the personalities, it's one of the most unreliable studies used. And the evidence that tries to back it up 
is done by the same company that owns the MBTI. In fact, let me show you an example of the MBTI being unreliable. Oftentimes, MBTI and dating go hand in hand together. We know that South Koreans use the MBTI to determine their personality types. However, they go much further than that. They actually use their personality types to also determine who will be the best date for them. Unfortunately, there is no substantive research that proves that MBTI is the best way to find dates, for obvious reasons. In fact, there's actually a lot of criticism towards it, and one of the main forms of criticism is specifically how it oversimplifies a lot of the traits. Instead of a bunch of different words that describe you, it simplifies it into eight different words, totaling a total of 16 different personality types. In addition to this, it's also not indicated of who you are. If you score 51% on introversion and 49% on extroversion, for example, MBTI will consider you introverted. Now, that's not to say you're fully introverted. MBTI is just saying you're more introverted than extroverted, which can be a huge problem. In short, the four letters that MBTI provides don't offer you every single thing to account for. In fact, you're more than just four letters on there. It's also incredibly misleading. Considering how MBTI has no predictors of success, it's very unlikely you will know if you will succeed using that test alone. Because of that, you might not know if you'll be able to succeed using the MBTI alone. And obviously, there's no real relation between the MBTI and dating. Speaking of dating, I think it's time to touch another subject that may be very related to MBTI. Astrology. Astrology divides its personalities into 12 different types, each with different characteristics. While it has been dated to the usage of kings and politicians and all that, astrology is a very unreliable method, even worse than that of MBTI. There's no real relationship between the 12 personality types of astrology and who you actually are. It's a fun test to take, but it's been absolutely disproven as a science. It's in no way correlated with any success, and more importantly, it's nowhere correlated with who you are. All of these traits may apply to you. In fact, they all do, regardless of the personality type you have. But that doesn't mean that all personality tests are like this. There are actually some that are advantageous. The Big Five, for instance, focuses on five different personality types. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. The Big Five are also very indicative of how successful you will be. If you score higher on openness, you're more likely to be open to different ideas, for example. They even help you predict how well you will do in the job force. That being said, every personality type does have its weaknesses, and oftentimes it just comes down to the subject, unfortunately. People nowadays tend to emphasize their good quality traits in order to appear appealing to them. And that's simply just how personality tests work. You'd want to appear as appealing as possible, just like how you would normally be in an interview. Many people think that names may actually serve the benefit of people, but they also serve as a double-edged sword. Do you want your ego to be boosted? Well, we called one of the greatest people of all time and you might have that. 
If you're someone that has committed a crime, he might be labeled a criminal and that can have drastic consequences for the rest of your life. Both MBTI and astrology focus on labeling you depending on what you closely align with, whereas the Big Five focus on the extent of a characteristic that may predict life outcomes. But it's very important to realize all three may predict incorrectly. Now, you might think that personality tests might be a way to be labeled. After all, most people take a personality test at some point in their lives. But you don't have to take a personality test to see any of this in action. All you just need is a name, and that could easily turn into a stereotype of a personality. Unfortunately, while they may not be large predictors of who you are, they are definitely names that can debilitate you into becoming the stereotype. I like to call this the other, a literary term that, put it simply, where you're unable to join a group regardless of how hard you try. You're ostracized from society effectively, or from a group, because of who you are. This is basically what a bunch of stereotypes try to do, to remove you from a group, or in extreme cases, to remove you from society. And the reality is, those have an extremely negative viewpoint. Based on a lot of data from the National Career Development Association, if you were labeled a criminal and you come out of a prison as a former inmate, you're much less likely to find a job. And this isn't an opinion. These are facts backed by research. One of the main reasons was two factors. One, background checks. Two, criminal records. Specifically put, we criminalize so much nowadays, and we tend to label people as such. Whenever we arrest someone, we tend to label them as a criminal, especially if they commit some of the most petty crimes. However, for most cases, that naming scheme doesn't seem justifiable, unless of course you have actually murdered someone or done some other heinous crime. Sure, some people absolutely do deserve to be in prison, and I'm not saying that they should be released, they should be in prison. But for people that have committed petty crimes and, effectively put, could have redemption, calling them a criminal just doesn't work. Being called a criminal obviously has some stereotypical disadvantages, with people being more likely to act like one. Unfortunately, they may struggle to find jobs, they may struggle to find income, they may even struggle to go through life. It's effectively a self-feeding loop that will eventually result in reincarceration. They've effectively become the other. They're struggling to go through society. They're struggling to reintegrate into it. And unfortunately, they may not see any possible way of doing that. Put it simply, stereotypes and labeling don't have to come from the internet. They can come from our experiences, from what people say to us, and what they call us and what they assume of us. But they aren't who we really are. Many people think that personality types Labeling and naming are the end-all be-all of seeing who we are based on our actions, decisions, and behaviors. But this isn't the case. We are way more than these combined, which is something that even the most advanced personality tests will fail to see. Our personality is ever-changing and can easily be influenced. Whether it be labeling, stereotypes, or social norms, these can influence how we act and respond to different circumstances. While most of our personality is simply genetic, it can be changed and measured. Personality tests are designed for various purposes. Some are completely unreliable and could be something you could take for fun. Look at MBTI and astrology, for example. 
Others could have very reliable ways to predict your future outcomes for life as a whole. The Big Five are a really good example of this. But at the end of the day, your personality is influenced by many other factors and isn't really a culmination of 50 or 100 questions. While these tests can have some degree of accuracy, our personalities are ever-changing as a whole. Thanks for joining us for this episode on personality tests. Special thanks for this episode goes to the Investigative Biology Department for our recording equipment and software. This has been State of the Pod. See you next time. Thank you.